0: This is a production of Dirty Mo' Media. Dirty Mo'. It's time for the Dale Jr. Download. Dirty Mo, Dirty Mo, Dirty Mo. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Thanks for tuning in. Mike Davis is on the show. Matthew Dillner. Leah's here. we got a great show for you. Paul Morris is our guest, Australian race car driver and great friend of mine. I can't wait for you guys to hear some of his stories. Let's get this show started. Before we get into the rest of the show with Paul, got a couple things to talk about here. Uh, Martrix Jr., 40 years old this week. Hey. Yeah. Big 40. Um, Also, my co-broadcast pal, Booth mate Jeff Burton, I think it was his 65th birthday this this week. All right, yeah, really, got a, got a couple birthday 60, shout 65, outs. 65. Yes. Oh no. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of booth mates and all that good stuff, uh, we're going back to work this week. How's that feel? Yeah. So there's a lot going on at in Indianapolis Motor Speedway this weekend, and we will be covering uh, the first Xfinity practices, I think practice one and practice two on Friday. That's going to be the actual first bit of work that we Mm. get to do. Uh, I believe those will be on the NBC app. And so that's going to be a great opportunity for us to kind of see what working in this, uh, the new booth is. The booth is basically going to be a room at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Okay. Uh, So we won't be on location But much like you've seen the guys at Fox do from their studio in Charlotte, we're going to be calling the race from there. So I get to start Friday learning how that works and how we can do that throughout those Xfinity practices. That will be extremely important to be able to do that before we go right into calling races. We will do the Xfinity race on Saturday. And obviously there will be the cup race on Sunday. There will also be an hour of pre-race. Mike Tirico is going to be a part of that. Excited to uh, always have Mike on Yeah, I mean, he brings so much awesome credibility to our shows. He's such an icon. Uh, so it's uh, he was part of our shows last year at a couple of different events. I think Daytona. Yep. And Indianapolis as well. We got to work with him during the Indianapolis 500. Uh, just it, it makes us it makes our show feel like important, important. good. Yes. It.
1: He, he's such a professional. Yeah. He makes you feel good. Makes you feel. I, I, being around him, is just a, it's, a, it's a delight, it honestly. And yeah. so that's awesome that he's going to be a part of it. Now, i got a question, though, for you. Sure. You, you guys typically do a couple rehearsals here and there. Are you saying that y'all haven't no really rehearsed? No rehearsals. So those Xfinity practices are your rehearsals, yes. more or less.
0: So tune in to those okay. to see all the screw-ups, mess-ups, <laughs> all the things that we're going to yeah. learn, mistakes we're going to make. Uh, and, I again, will. they'll be on the NBC Sports app uh, if you really want to check that out. Jimmy Johnson is testing an Indy car.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. Ganassi,
0: Ganassi, IndyCar around the oval, I suppose.
2: No, uh, no? no. It's actually going to be um, at the road course. Oh, he's going to drive the road course. So, uh, yeah, I just uh, learned that this morning. I yeah, thought me that too. was pretty cool. I'm
0: learning it right this minute.
2: Oh, really? Um,
0: <laughs> all right. So he's going to run the road course. Ah,
1: you were hoping for the Indy he 500. Yeah, Indy, Indy
0: 500, 500 would be cool. Yeah. So the um, speaking of road course, our Xfinity guys are going to race on that. Yes. Now, mm-hmm. so. I you know I, don't, I know that's probably we take it for granted that everybody knows that because here we are sitting in an Xfinity shop that yeah. carry, you know four teams race out of this shop right here next to the studio, but not everybody knows that the Xfinity series is going to race on the road course this weekend. I am really really excited about that. I think the road course there has always been a uh, point of conversation. Uh, there's been times in, in, in a, uh, throughout the racing at Indianapolis for the Cup cars where the racing hasn't been that great. Uh, with the new rules package, we're kind of still sifting through to see whether this is going to improve the racing at Indy on the oval and, but a lot of people have called for the possibility or the idea for the cup series to go to the road course and try to race the road course at Indy. This will be the first test of whether that's really, uh, the move to make. So I think as we're watching this IndyCar race Saturday, we need to keep in mind, not only are we watching it to see who wins and, and and we're pulling for our favorite drivers and all that good stuff. But we're also watching it with the idea of could this work in the Cup series? I think everybody should pay attention while they're watching Xfinity race and make that decision for themselves at the end. Did what you see would you would you like to see the Cup cars doing just what you saw the Xfinity cars doing on Saturday? Because uh yeah, if the, if the Cup racing at the Xfinity uh, at the IndyCar oval doesn't improve or doesn't trend toward more exciting racing then they might have to make a change, or they likely will make a change. I
1: can't imagine what would happen for me to say no. I wouldn't want the Cup cars running the Indy car, uh, the the, the no. road course. Yeah, I, me neither. But 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 you're right. We should watch the the Xfinity race and then make a decision after that. But I'm going to tell you right now. Every time the Cup cars have gone somewhere, and like let's say the Roval, you know, the yeah. Roval was a big test and all this stuff. I mean, we didn't leave disappointed, right? No.
0: I, I like the idea because the Indy car oval is. Uh, that belongs to IndyCar. That belongs to Open Wheel. That belongs to f- to the legends of Foyt and Dreddy. We are merely just guests. Coming, I've always said that because uh, that's what it's felt like. We're we're we're, uh, you know, we're we're coming in there. So if that was taken away, it doesn't have the tradition. Uh, our cars racing there doesn't have this long tradition. Doesn't we? You know, it, we just since started 90s, racing yeah. there since what the. Late nineties, so we're not losing this old this this tradition uh, or or history of great tr- you know triumphs and, and exciting finishes going back into the fifties, sixties, seventies, like maybe you have at Daytona, right, or even Tarleton, Charlotte, or, yeah. right. That's the one thing why I don't want. That's the one thing I'm afraid of for Charlotte. If we quit racing the oval entirely, oh, is no. losing all that history and tradition of of what happened there and the races, uh, the the triumphs that have happened there. So I'm okay with this though. If we moved away from the oval and when cup cars go to Indy, we run the road course. I'd be okay with that.
1: I didn't really think that we were replacing the, the uh, Brickyard 400 though. I think like,
0: yeah, is that what could. is that what the it suggestion could I'm just saying that's if, if it saying. did
1: happen? Yeah, it okay, could. well maybe then that would be my it's good litmus. That, okay, I understand now. I just thought like you know at a second race and no. you, you run on the Wild, road course. No. All right, no. I'm think, sorry.
0: Yeah. I'm just saying if the if if the racing is continues to be boring or or not satisfactory at the oval, there had been talk over the last couple of years. Hey man, we should run the road course. We should run the road course.
2: Uh, that'll fit. You know that that's that'll be better. Well, do you remember our text message about that? No. No, you Reminded. were still you were still driving. It's unbelievable how just life your perspective changes. Sure. My perspectives and ideas and stuff changed too. But you were still racing, and we had a text about that. And you were like, "I didn't start. I didn't run cup to run these well, see, road courses, and you know extra road courses." I would not courses. want
0: to race it, yeah. but I would want to watch it. So I'm watching now. So obviously, I might have a different opinion when it comes to. That. I mean, as a broadcaster, a lot of things that I had opinions of as driver changed. Yeah. When I went into broadcasting, but yeah I think if I was still a driver, I'd probably want to try to make that oval work even today um I try to want to find something package wise rules wise that made the oval uh what we wanted to be doing yeah but if it you know i'm I'm out of that game now I'm watching now I'm broadcasting uh we've had some amazing road course races over the last I mean, they have been strong. Uh, the Roval, Watkins Glen, Sonoma, anywhere we've been, it puts on a show. Um, and there's a lot of great content there happening in the event to be, a, to be able to broadcast it. Uh, so I think it would be interesting. Anytime we try something new, it seems to be pretty awesome until uh, the team sort of figure it out.
1: Well, that does change everything for me. I, I don't think I would be ready to abandon the, the uh, big oval. Interesting. That, that – that, I don't. Although watching the race at Pocono, I don't know. You we used to just uh, compare Pocono and Indy in terms of the racing. Is that something we still do? Because if so, that that was a uh, that that was quite uh, a gap <laughs> between the leaders in the. Xfinity in the was point. awesome.
2: The Xfinity, Xfinity was, was incredible.
0: Series, the Truck Series Dr- race was. I wouldn't label them as awesome because there's a lot of yellows that were kind of, you know, the truck series race, they couldn't get going, yeah. right? They had a lot of trouble. Kind and of, And then you have stage cautions. And yeah. It just seemed uh, to take, it was like 24 hours of Pocono. Um,
1: <laughs> but as far as the cup, we're, we're talking about the rules package and out. everything
0: else. It was strung out. Yeah. And if,
1: if, if that sort of, Mirrors what we could expect at Indy, which I hope not. But we—that's
0: been the case at the Indy. Saturday C- Pocono race uh, didn't get great reviews. Uh, the Sunday race was a tick better, but still, yeah, I think that what Pocono and Indy have always kind of been quite similar in, in as far as the product that you see on the racetrack. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens this weekend. Uh, IndyCar is also there.
2: Yeah. All
0: right. Uh, last year. There was a lot of conversation about a doubleheader between IndyCar and Cup. I think everybody wanted it, and anyone in the industry, whether it's IndyCar or Cup, wanted to do it. Uh, Who would go first? Uh, Nobody wants to be the lesser, (laughs) the supporting series, right? Right, the undercard. Yeah, Yeah, the undercard. So who (laughs) who goes first? Well, maybe we go first, and then you go first, and the next one. There was a lot of conversation about how do you make both events the headliner, right, in the same weekend. That was sort of the debate a bit, but I believe that everybody wanted to do it, but there was just a, you know, there was just this hesitation. Here we are. Uh, The pandemic, Mike, we've talked about it. Yeah. As bad as it's been and as bad as it continues to be, uh, it has had some uh, positives in terms of what we've been able to do with our sport and some of the things we've been able to learn uh, and some, of uh, you know, no practices, no qualifying and, and how that's made some of the races a little more intriguing. And here we are with uh, an opportunity to do a double header because kind of we have to, in a sense. We've been back, put into this situation where it's it's created a real possibility for this to happen. And now it's finally going to happen.
2: I'm pumped. I'm I'm, all right, so, I am
1: too.
0: All right. <laughs> so why are you pumped? Let me ask you that question. Okay. I'm excited because of really one thing. And I bet I'm, I'm missing something here. Uh, I think it'll be great because there's so much common interest between the two series, or between Open Wheel and Stock Car, that they are going to have so much fun being in the same space to be able to inter, you know, interact with each other, go and, 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 and visit each other's garages and, and learn and look and, and put their hands on the cars, understand the, the culture the way they do things, how they approach their craft, all those things. But that's really just the industry sort of back and forth. What are fans getting out of the doubleheader? Obviously, you're fans. So tell me, what are you guys so pumped about? Let me tell you what it is for me.
1: For me, you know that day uh, when you have Monaco in the morning, you know, and then you've got Indy, and then you've got the six hundred at night. And the the, just the versatility behind that day. What we all look forward to that day because it's a day full of racing, and it's a day where you can just sit there and take in all these forms and appreciate all the forms, uh, all the disciplines of racing. Right? I don't really watch F one on a regular basis. I know a lot of people do. So, but but I do watch Monaco because it's that day when I know it's, it's just part of it. And so when you, I, I think that our sports are better when they're working together and when there's not at odds. It, not that there have been at odds, but I think that, you know, the indie crowd will always want to sit there and, you know, look down on the NASCAR crowd or the stock racing, stock car racing, and vice versa. And I never understood that. I don't know why you can't, you know, true racing purists can't just appreciate both forms of racing and, and, and enjoy the fact that you got them both to, to watch. And then when you get them on the same day, I think this is the best of both worlds. I don't look at the negatives of that i I don't see the negatives. I think it's an awesome thing i love the I love it when they can collaborate or when they can yes. kind of inter intermix inter in, in in like you said just I take it as a learning opportunity i I, I love to sit there and go, okay, what about this that uh that, that they do that we can't we can't have because of maybe the way the cars are and I can appreciate that
2: I, I think we've done the we've done double headers as far as being there in the same weekend, but we've done them wrong. Oh, you know, dating back to IRL at, uh, new Hampshire, they'd run one day. NASCAR would run the next day, Kentucky run one day, run the, there's no, there was no like cohesiveness. So as a fan or somebody that's interested in the industry, you're running them same day. It's like this festival uh, atmosphere. Like you said, you could sit on the couch and be a fan of both. I'm now a huge fan of IndyCar car racing. And I think IndyCar racing is, is a very uh, sexy sport full of really colorful characters. And I would like to see more of this collaboration between the two because I think NASCAR drivers at times don't, don't show their true personalities enough. Mm. And, and the almost European style of some of these racers on the IndyCar side that show their personality more, but they don't have the platform At times that NASCAR has. I think combining those two could be a win win for NASCAR drivers, for NASCAR fans, for NASCAR industry, as much as it could be for IndyCar. And I'd love to see someday a cup IndyCar doubleheader on the same day because nowadays with social media, you know, you see one driver go over to the other garage and it creates so much interest, you know, to see Jimmy or see you when you were at Indianapolis going to sit in a car. I think all that could be great for both. Anytime both sides. there's been
1: a collaboration, it's been very intriguing yes. for me, and I think a lot of. Spe- I think about when Jeff Gordon and Juan Pablo did that, uh, yeah. the tra- trading whatever they called it when they got into each other's Stewart cars. Tony Stewart did it at Watkins Tony Glen. Tony Stewart did it when Kurt Busch ran the Indy 500. Yes, I mean we were glued to that. Yes. It was so awesome. Not and, and and I was just enjoying the heck out of it. When even when you did the iRace. race. You know, oh yeah, yeah. But, you know, just a few weeks ago, yeah. I thought that was so interesting.
0: This will definitely create the possibility, the opportunity, uh, for more conversations about drivers uh, actually m- going over to the each series. And I, I'm all about that. that yeah, be cool. That, you know what I mean? That's
1: sort of a historic uh, approach to it, too.
0: Now, it's extremely interesting for me to to watch a stock car guy run the Indy 500, Mm -hmm. all right? Uh, Or really any oval in the open wheel. Uh, I'd like to see what our guys can do in that environment. And I'm imagining if that's the case, then open wheel fans also get interested in stock car racing when their heroes or their, their drivers come over and try out stock car racing right? Whether it's on road courses and whatnot. So I hope that, you know, a lot comes out of the doubleheader and the two series sharing the same venue. Uh, That's one of the things that I hope comes out of it is the opportunity or the possibility that we might see, you know, this, like Kyle Bush, he's talked about running the Indy 500. What are the hurdles? What are the, what are the things that are the roadblocks in the way? Could this uh, be a, a catalyst to get through those challenges to make that happen? Even if you're not a Kyle Busch fan, you're going to tune into the Indy 500 if you see Kyle Busch on the starting grid. The
1: same way we did Kurt Busch.
0: For sure,
2: right? And 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 just to clarify it, too, for the fans that are listening, so Saturday you have the Xfinity Series at, like, 3 o'clock. You have IndyCar at 4 or so. Mm -hmm. And then Sunday is the Cup race, so it's all combined. But the real doubleheader day is that Saturday. Yeah, for sure.
0: And when I hear doubleheader, I think any car cup, and that for me, that's what it is. You, you're going to go. The Saturday is the double header because of Xfinity, and uh,
2: yes. Yeah. Oh well, I think that same day thing is freaking magic, and yeah. we haven't done it, and we need to do it, and it's cool. Well, he's excited, Mike. Yeah, a little bit. I am too,
1: though. I, I like Good. that too, though. I appreciate that.
2: He should be coming in in a second. Are You ready, Mike?
0: I'm ready. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: There he is. <laughs> look Jesus. at it.
3: Uh, g'day. Welcome to Australia. Nice. That's a good Aussie accent, mate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Haven't forgot it.
3: You got new teeth, Mike. You got new
0: teeth, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Same ones as before,
1: buddy. You remember them. <laughs> hey, look, what, 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 what are you drinking?
0: Coffee. All right. Got what- the smallest cup that you own. <laughs> Doesn't take much coffee for this guy. Why are you drinking coffee at eleven o'clock at night? Because
3: I needed to wake up.
1: Uh, you, you would? You, would you typically be in bed right now? I mean, come on, now. It's late. Or sleep on the couch. Sleeping on the couch.
3: <laughs> Here in Australia, I was
0: born. Heave away, fall away, old Australia, round Cape. Cod to australia all right everybody i'm uh, i'm real excited about this mike i know you're you've been talking about this for a couple of weeks uh we finally got a friend of ours on the show all the way from australia paul morris paul how's it going
3: i'm really good uh, excited to be doing this because this is one of my favorite shows so oh really <laughs> it's going to be hard.
0: so you're uh you you told me a few times that you you you're a big fan or have listened to the show, and now you started your own podcast, or at least you're doing a lot of content yourself over at uh, over at your racetracks. Um, how are you enjoying doing that?
3: Uh, I enjoy it a lot. So myself and I, I think you remember Russell Ingle, yep, who drove for me f- uh, ten years ago. We we've, we've started our own show, and it's more of a YouTube, uh, a lot of video content. Uh, it was his idea, and it started because. Um, he was in broadcasting after he retired, and then uh, he got the axe from oh. from the network, and he was bitter and twisted, and he's decided to start his own show, and uh, he's now getting more views than than the network, so he's pretty <laughs> happy. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: where are you exactly in Australia? Tell everybody.
3: I'm in the Gold Coast, uh, which, would people know, is where the the IndyCar race always was. Yep. The street race on the Gold Coast uh, in Queensland. It's a state. It's Probably similar to Florida, if you if you look at uh, our temperature and and our lifestyle.
0: And what time is it?
3: So eleven eleven p.m. at night.
0: What are you usually doing so, at eleven o'clock at night?
3: Probably in bed or just falling asleep on the couch, Dale. So
0: well, there's sometimes now. I'm, I follow you on social media. Well, you're one of my favorite uh, follows on social media, just because you know I know you're always out to have a good time, and sometimes you're not in bed at eleven o'clock. You guys have been cutting up quite a bit here lately. <laughs>
3: Yes. Yeah, when the COVID thing first hit hit here, people the first things Australian did was to, Australians did was try to chill out and drink more beer and have a good time and enjoy ourselves. So that was our reaction to how all that went on and, and yeah, well, we've been having a good time. So, yeah.
1: so how, how did that work for Australians then? Is that is has that been the, the, the strategy so far or just drink drink it away?
3: That has been the strategy, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's, uh, people, people haven't been going out. They've just been sitting at home and, uh, and in some, some cases hanging out together more and doing things they haven't, haven't really been doing. It's, it's brought people together. So there has, has been some good of it.
1: You, you know, what's interesting is that I, I think that the people that know Paul that are listening to this right now and just heard Paul say that he's usually in bed about 11 o'clock are all calling BS right now, collectively. I can hear it through the headphones yeah. because they know Paul, because Paul, you are that person Everybody has a Paul Moore story. Do you, I mean, you're that person for us, even over here. I mean, it, when, when you have a, you know, Paul, you know, Paul, remember that time, that Tuesday night, remember at the bar, the fight, the whole thing. You're that guy.
3: Yeah. I'm the guy that, that once he gets going, doesn't normally stop. So. <laughs> I'm that guy, if it starts, if it starts going, I just, I just keep going. So sometimes it's a couple of days later. Sometimes it's a couple of hours, but I'm normally normally the last one to pull out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, <clears throat> let's um, so let's explain uh, to people how we met. Um, I was uh, right around the time I was starting to go to work for Rick Hendrick. They were also uh, Chevrolet was building the the new Camaro. And uh, the street version. They were in, and they were doing their secrets, uh, super secret testing and and manufacturing of the early uh, prototypes over in Australia. And so I talked to Rick. I wanted to go to Australia. And um, I was a big fan of the racing circuit uh, over there, the super, uh, the supercar, V8 supercar. uh, Back then, still am a fan of it today. But back then, man, it was so raw and they were, Australian race car drivers are the most aggressive race car drivers that I know and um it was just such a fun series to watch and 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 I wanted to go see it for myself and uh so anyways I got uh the opportunity through chevrolet to to go over there and test out or drive these uh these camaros and do a little bit of uh, uh work for Chevrolet and that uh, allowed me to take. I don't know how many friends we 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 sent over there. It was about eight of us. Paul yeah. probably seven or eight of us. But it was, uh, a, it
3: was a small jet full. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's so, right. Well, we flew to Australia,
3: <laughs> small and
0: jet. Uh, Marcus Ambrose is the guy that obviously I went to and said, "Hey, I'm going to Australia. Do you have anybody over there that I can connect with?" And um, he he uh, inter- he introduced me to a guy named Crusher. And Crusher, explain to everybody who Crusher is.
3: Crusher's a, a PR, PR guy, um, motorsport, public relations, media guy who is pretty good at networking. Yeah. And really good at drinking.
0: Yes. Huge guy. <laughs> and he's been in racing for decades on the Australian side. He's came over and worked in IndyCar and... and been a been a big part of motorsports here and here and overseas over in Australia, obviously where he was where he was born and raised. But really, really great guy. He connected me to Paul. He said, you know, when we're going to spend a majority of our trip in the Gold Coast. Um, we went all up and down uh, the the east coast of Australia, from Hamilton Island, which was incredible um, to see the uh, Great Barrier Reef. Uh, but we were all over, anyways. We 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 ended up really connecting with Paul and spending the majority of our trip with Paul.
1: Just because they thought that he would be a good tour guide or because he would be a good reference for, you know, the work you were doing over there? But what, what was Crusher's point?
0: I think Crusher just knew. we, Crusher, I guess, kind of knew what we were into. We I told Crusher right away, I said, hey, we're just going to drink beer and, and we're a bunch of goofballs and, and he's we like, want to have some fun. Paul Morris. And he's like, This is <laughs> this is where you need to be. And Paul, not only was Paul going to – show us how to have fun and where to have fun, but he's going to keep us out of trouble, mm, right? We got you. And uh, give us a lot of advice on how to navigate over there. And, and it was great. You know, Paul, so this kind of guy Paul is. So he has a racing school, a V8 Supercar Driver Racing School the, that he partnered with the Marcus Ambrose on, I, I believe, and uh, still runs it today. And they have kind of a little bit of a tamer version of the V8 supercar. They got a couple of them and they have, you know, that you can, you can ride four people in them, but they're basically just a a race car. And uh, the entire interior is all stripped out and, and it's, uh, they're awesome. So he's, these things are not cheap. And he's like, Hey guys, I'm going to park them. He parks them all out on the racetrack, about four of them. He goes, y'all just have at it. We're standing there in our flip flops and our board (laughs) shorts and our t-shirts, not thinking we're going to go drive race cars. And so we're out there on the, we're out there driving these cars. I mean, my buddies are driving them that have never raced in their life, and uh, we're just <laughs> we're just having a field day at this driver's school. And Paul and Paul and them, they're they're doing whatever they need to be doing, and you know, having a you know call on the phone or in the shop working, and turned us completely loose, unchaperoned, to drive all these cars around this racetrack. I remember being in one of them with my bare feet and my board shorts. And having the best time of my <laughs> life, but uh, we had a blast over there for two weeks.
1: And to be clear, this is all made possible by the person keeping you out of trouble
0: too. Yeah. And Paul's <laughs> been here. Paul's came to the U.S. He one time he says, "Hey man, I'm going to send a race car." Oh, I remember this over here. One of my cars over here to 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 go on a seven post and pull down rig and a bunch of other arrow uh, wind tunnels and this and that and the other. He's going to send one of his. Uh, V8 supercars over here to get get all the information and data he can. Um, so he ships it over here. I think it's it it arrived at our place. I'm not quite sure how all that worked.
3: It was in your shop at your house. That's, That's
0: right. We kept it for him till they came and and needed it and took it to the wind tunnel and all that. But and he stayed in town for a couple weeks and he's been back through here a few times to say hello as he's been racing some stadium super trucks and stuff like that with Robbie Gordon. Um, but we've got a great friendship. And um, I tell him all the time, I can't wait to, you know, having these kids has put a delay on this, but I can't wait to come back to Australia and take my wife Amy over there and introduce uh, Amy to Paul um, on his turf. It'd be a lot of fun. So, Paul, I, 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 I'd had a question. I remember
1: when Paul and Owen Kelly yeah. had spent about a month here, mm-hmm. and that month will go down in infamy as far as the stories <laughs> and the, and then the, uh, the I think the um, I don't know. The industry is still talking about that month that Paul was here. And so then I had questions about that week in Australia. So Paul, he said that Crusher set you guys up. What do you remember about when Crusher came to you and asked you to, to, to help Dale Jr. Out? How much did you even know of Dale? And, and had you guys, uh, you know, what was that first meeting like?
3: Uh, Yeah. We all, we all knew he was coming obviously. And um, we know who Dale Dale is for sure. We do, but, and then uh, I think we first met at maybe Phillip Island. You guys come to Phillip Island, and and Topher and JD probably walked into to my garage, and then started talking to those guys first. And then then when they're up on the Gold Coast, this is a, a true story. We get a phone call. They're like, "Hey, we're up on the Gold Coast. Said, that's that's good where you're at." And they go, well, "We're at Hooters." <laughs> um, why the hell would these guys come all the way from America and go to who who does? We've got to rescue these guys and show them around. So (laughs) so we've got to get you out of this place. And and, uh, that's when we thought we had to become proper tour guides and show these guys what Australia was all about.
1: And so where was the first place you took him to show him what Australia is all about?
3: Uh, To the track. I think we were sitting there talking and he said, I need to drive something. And I'm like, okay, I can fix that. Let's go. Let's get that one done. (laughs) And then... uh, Then we just kept hitting all the things we wanted to do on the list, which um, we had a good time. The thing I remember is no one knew who Dave was. You know, he got thrown out of his first nightclub. He had all sorts of good things happen.
1: Oh, really? What what was this?
0: I guess we got thrown out of the nightclub. Uh, I don't know how that happened. I just remember – I know that – I think Paul might be the reason why we got thrown out of the nightclub. (laughs) Yeah,
3: it was definitely my fault.
0: (laughs) Do
1: you
3: remember this? Oh, I remember it. I yeah. mean, I would assume
1: yeah. that that wasn't the first or the last nightclub late. you've been thrown out of. So what was, the, what was the situation this kind?
3: I don't know
2: what happened, but we got him back in. It was
3: fun. <laughs> <laughs> got him back in. <laughs> He's being tight-lipped.
0: We, um, You know, being a big fan of the supercars and, and going all the way over there to be able to go to a race, that was the whole uh, – yeah. the objective really was to see the supercars race. And it was our, in the wintertime. It's their summer. Uh, they're in the middle of their racing season. We went to Phillip Island, beautiful uh, part of the country, uh, really amazing racetrack. The hospitality, uh, it was first class. They treated me really well, but they treated all of uh, the people that was with us, all my buddies, incredibly well. No, we, we, we basically felt like um, you know the best guests. And uh, Paul and his team, I hardly knew any of those folks, but um, I knew of Paul because I'd watched the series a lot. They call him the dude. That sounds like sounds, must be a good guy. They call him, they got a great nickname. That's and, right. Um, so we ended up uh, hanging out, watching the Utes race. I didn't know what a Ute was. A Ute, Mike. Oh, yeah. um, we, we we've
1: talked about this on the show here. Yeah, how they should
0: bring him over here. It yes. was with
1: Will Power, actually. Remember? Well,
0: actually, um, no, we remember we were doing a show. This is funny, Paul. We were doing a show at Daytona. For uh, this February, oh, yeah. and I was sitting down with the with with the General Motors uh, of North- it was Jim Campbell, yeah, Jim Campbell with Chevrolet, and yeah. I said, "Hey, you guys ought to bring the Ute over here." And he's like, <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, you know, we've kind of talked about that, and it'd be cool." And I, you know, kind of brushed it off, and then we like two days later, they we found out that they'd closed Holden down. <laughs> that Chevrolet is going to end the Holden, um, which yeah. is which is really unfortunate. Such an incredible, uh, uh, iconic car i don't know how you guys feel about it over in australia but i love the holden and have a commodore myself but uh that was that was a funny sort of 24-hour span there but the I, i got to see the utes race we had a great time at phillip island and he's right we were staying at this era we were staying at a uh casino in the gold coast and Right down the street was Hooters, and we were, we didn't, we just, this is like the first lunch. We're like, man, we're hungry. What do y'all want? Let's just go to Hooters, okay? Let's see what Hooters is like in Australia. So we go, and and it was empty, nobody in there. And uh, my buddies are on the phone with Paul, and he's like, y'all gotta get out of there, man. We're coming to to get you, man. Why are you in there?
1: Your first cue is that nobody else is in there. That should have been it. That should have been the sign.
0: So we hung out with, we, (laughs) We hung out with Paul for a couple uh, days there, uh, and he's like, hey, guys. He turned us loose one day, and he told us, he said, he said, I'm going to come pick you, up, pick you all up tomorrow in a helicopter and take you to the – we're going to the winery for lunch. And so we walk into uh, – he's telling me – he's telling us this, and I'm like, oh, man, h- all right, how are we going to get to this uh, – we're going to drive this helicopter. I don't know where we can – got to figure out you know where we're going to go to get to the landing pad. He, we walk into the front door of the casino – as Paul's kind of dropping us off, and he says, he turns and says to the bellman, he goes, Hey, I'm gonna land my helicopter on that uh, parking deck out there. The casino had like a two, three level parking <laughs> deck. And the guy looks at him and he's like, You understand what I'm saying? I'm gonna, hand, I'm gonna land my helicopter on this parking <laughs> deck tomorrow morning. <laughs> and the guy's like, Yes, sir. And I said, Yeah,
3: well, mission from the person that controls the building, and he gave it to us. So, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, we were good to go. And he did. <laughs>
0: We come out there the next morning, helicopter's on the pad. I mean, the hotel security's out there like, how you doing, Mr. <laughs> Morris? Yes, sir. This is. Good. You know, they're kind of standing, standing guard, making sure no cars are driving up on this helicopter, right? By the time he comes to land the helicopter, the whole casino was like creating, uh, <laughs> go, going to the best efforts to accommodate Paul. Is He's this like, your life?
3: Is this the way you live, Paul? Everybody <laughs> just accommodates you? I told him there was a very important guest staying at the hotel that needed to have a <laughs> helicopter picked
0: up. <laughs> that's that's uh, so funny. That's one of the things that I learned about uh, Australians, at least Paul, you uh, know, uh, is their their wit. Oh yeah. They will embellish a little bit and get a get a joke out of it and also trick the casino. So trick the casino. Um we so Paul flies us to his family Owns a winery. Tell me about that, because I'm I, I'm not a wine drinker, Paul, and uh, still I'm not. I'm not today. I'll drink your wine. Okay. And uh, so we go to the, have lunch at this place, and we all got on on wine. And I'm like, man, this is great stuff. So that's really the only thing I'll drink. He'll send me some every once in a while. But how did your family get into that? Get in the wine business?
3: Uh, it was always a passion of my dad's, and after he became Successful in life, it was something he wanted to do and build. And I think he's it's about 20 years that that winery's been there now. It's, it's so it was uh, relatively pretty... new when we were there. Yeah, it was what two, three years old. Wow, no, 97 a bit longer, 10 years old, maybe. Done so. Um, yeah, it's 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 a place where people can come and have fun. And also, we have big events there as well. I like we have uh concerts there with up to 15,000 people there coming to what's it called? A good time. It's called Sirame Wines. Which is my dad's initials spelled backwards. His name's Terry Edward Morris, and if you spell t Morris backwards. It's Sirame. So is that's how we come up?
1: Is the motto now the only wine that Dale Hart Jr. will drink? Mm.
3: <laughs> it is. Yeah, he looks. Pinot Gris, The white Pinot Gris. Yes, so, it's the best. Uh, it's
0: all. It's all. It's really the only wine I will ever drink. And I just. Um, I have tried other Pinot Gris, uh because of his um you know i'll 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 try it here in the states of some other brands but when he so you're thinking Australia right if you go to Australia you're thinking um kangaroos right you're thinking about <laughs> I mean, you're thinking about the
1: first thing that comes to my mind is kangaroos well yes. the
0: outback koalas things yeah.
2: like yeah koalas
0: <laughs> so we're flying in on this helicopter and we haven't really seen any of that we've been in the city and mm-hmm. in the suburbs for the most part of our trip and when we flew into that winery man it was the most beautiful uh scene there's kangaroos hopping all over the place, as we're ha- we're hovering over down on the ground. I mean, they're they're right there, and uh, just a beautiful place. We had a great lunch. Place was packed full of cheery people. Everybody was happy and uh, having a great time. All the tables were kind of intermingling and laughing amongst each other and with each other. Just I I just remember that as probably the, one of my funnest parts of the trip was that lunch we had at the winery. And your dad uh, is one of the most stand up as guys. I mean just the coolest guy. Um Paul's pretty awesome. Is he gets a lot of that I think from his dad. Um and and we get to see your dad quite a bit on your social media, so that's always awesome. So yeah. we
3: yeah. He come and stay up, remember? Yeah. He
1: came and stayed at
0: your place? I guess he did.
3: I don't remember. <laughs> I mean lots happened. So t- he, he come and stayed in the guest house there for a few days. When oh, we that's did. right. Yeah.
1: And why would that have been? Was that when you were here uh testing out the car?
3: Yeah. Might have been that time because Dale said, "Hey, when you come to America, bring your dad." So I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that that time
1: when you were here testing out that car, so you talked about how they shipped the car. Yeah. Um, which I remember, we kind of just thought, "Man, that's kind of crazy." I don't know that we've ever had a car shipped from Australia right over straight to Dirty Mo Acres. But, no, but but and it hadn't happened since. No. I don't believe, uh, but. Then you, and did Owen Kelly come with him, or was Owen already here? Owen like, how did came, that all set up?
0: Owen
3: uh, Kelly is a friend of Paul's. Yeah, Owen came with me on, on that trip. He, that's, that's when he stayed and then started driving your late model.
0: Yeah, so Owen comes. Uh, Owen's just a friend of Paul's, and Paul's like, um, this is my friend Owen. He's an aspiring race car driver, and he's really good. You ought to give him a shot. And we got drunk enough to one night <laughs> that I agreed to let Owen race one of our late models for an entire season. And so Owen ends up staying in, in, North, in North Carolina at one of our apartments, yeah. uh, one of our rentals, and raced a late model for a year. That's what Paul, Paul comes over to hang out for a couple weeks to, to, to drink and party and then left one of his friends here for a year. <laughs> yeah. This
1: is this is the real testimony to that wine is that it landed Owen Kelly a job. Owen, it,
0: it, well it landed him a, jo- a job he, for, for he raced here for a year, ended up marrying his wife, meeting his wife here, didn't he, Paul? He did.
3: She's from Georgia. now they have two kids. Um, both live in Melbourne. So yeah, if we hadn't a drunk that wine, Owen probably be still single.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so why did they end up I remember very specifically hanging out with Paul and Owen in Daytona. Yeah. Would
3: how did that happen? Do you remember this, Paul? <laughs> we go we go to the test, the test, right? Oh, and the, this the is pre-season how test go, sessions. Dale says to us, We're gonna leave at six o'clock in the uh, eight o'clock in the morning, we're gonna pick up, we're gonna fly down to Daytona for the for the test. And we're like, Okay, we're gonna go down to Daytona for the test. So eight o'clock in the morning we're out the front of the, the guest house ready to be picked up, and I think you might have grabbed us, Mike. Maybe and then he said, Oh, we're right to go. I said, Where's Dale? He said, Oh, he flew down two, two hours earlier. He wanted to go early. And we're like, Man, these guys are using jets like they're, they're pickup trucks. This is, I've never <laughs> seen. What? I said, oh, this thing's, he said, Oh, this thing will be going up and down all, all day, bringing stuff back and forth. I've got to go back now and pick up a gearbox. And so we were like, oh. it was like, it must have looked like the Beverly Hillbillies. It was just, couldn't believe what was happening. <laughs>
1: Says the guy that lands helicopters on things until yeah, like this, this. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is so odd. Flying a jet to Daytona.
3: Whatever you get used to, isn't it? it yeah, are, that's, <laughs> it's, it's cool.
1: What do you remember of the Daytona test? Like being down there. What do you remember?
3: Uh, I remember on the lollipops. I remember <laughs> we, had a big, we, had a couple, we had a big night, and uh, the funniest thing I remember, we were in um, the Hooters. That was across the. So we went to get some lunch. Some, some guys there, and we were sat down there having lunch and got talking to them. And then we went back to the garage area, and we were in the garage with Dale after there. And the guy goes, weren't you, weren't you just uh, in Hooters having lunch with Hooters? And I said, yeah. And he goes, what are you doing in his garage? He couldn't believe that we were actually in his garage area in the test. So, and then um, what else did we do there? We had a pretty good time. We had, And then uh, we met up with Boris Ed that weekend as well. So I knew of Boris. Oh, yeah, had Boris Ed. Eddie before, Dale introduced me to Boris, and now Boris and I are really close friends. So our, our two sons are similar age, and, and even they're really good friends. To me, the whole thing about motor racing is it's an incredible network of people, and, and uh, you can be racing anywhere in the world, any car, any type of racing, and you're two steps away but by having really, really good connections. Incred- incredible thing to be involved in
0: yeah, your friendship with Boris uh is is pretty special and Boris has actually come over to race at uh, Mount Panorama which isn't that right? He
3: come over. you yeah. you, you set all that up? You did. Wait. Wait I'm a, I'm talking to Boris and you go you should put him in your car for Bathurst and I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, I think I" <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know i've noticed something there's a common denominator it doesn't take a whole lot of convincing when it comes to paul and, and, and you Me guys and
0: paul together are, are make some awesome
3: plans y'all
1: just make some freaking decisions yep. man it don't take long <laughs>
3: yeah so yeah boris come out and raced with us for bathurst he come out and did some racing at the gold coast uh 600 the the supercar race on the gold coast and i ended up doing daytona 24 hour with boris a couple of times so yeah. That- <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. There was a real
0: that Paul came pretty close one time to driving our Xfinity car. You remember what? me and
3: you BSing about doing that, Paul? Yeah, you wanted me to drive it on an oval and I'm like, oh just give me a road course. I mate. thought that sure was trying. I
0: thought it was the other way around. I wanted you to run the road <laughs> course and you're like, no, I want to run an oval.
3: No, it was definitely the no, no, you were like
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of wine. <laughs> So how close did this get? I, I
1: just mean, just that. I mean, I like, was, I you, was, you wouldn't put him on a. I mean, we put anybody on a road. Course. We were
0: in between drivers, and and I was like, man, if it's going to happen, this is the time it needs to happen. Yeah. You can see how easily all the other decisions were made. You can imagine this, right? One I it. mean,
1: we put we put Habul in a car. We yeah, put Kenny, Kenny Habul. Habul.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I mean, we he's put, ra-
1: he's uh, drove for Kenny a few times. What's what are you what is Paul Morris and Kenny Habul like when they're together <laughs> at a bar?
3: <laughs> uh, well. Uh, I've, I've known Kenny before he was um, a successful businessman, and when he first started racing. So he, Kenny, race used to race Formula Ford here in, in Australia before he took off to go to America. And he's from my same hometown. He, he's always been as he always has. Now he's just got a lot more money to try and make all those crazy ideas happen. So it's, it's pretty, he's pretty good from being around. Yeah, he actually turned up in Australia with Zach Brown, the musician, in the same jet. That you guys come out in, and he borrowed it off Mister Henry. The exact same jet.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that big uh, Gulfstream. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's the only way to. to that's to, the only way to go yeah. to Australia. The only apparently, way to get there. Yeah, but you got to. You got to stop in Hawaii and spend the night to break the trip in half. Is that what you have to do? Yeah,
1: that's tough. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that in mind.
0: <laughs> One of the best things that we got to do while we were in Australia for our trip back in two thousand and I don't know eight six, or nine two thousand six. Like I thought two thousand seven. Anyways. Um, 2007. One of the best yep. things that we got to do. Paul and his team, his V8 supercar team, are testing. What was the name of the racetrack? Queensland Raceway. Queensland. They're testing. All right. Uh, Paul's. Yep. Paul's. Uh, let us go play with the school cars over to driving school. Mm-hmm. And I thought, all right, that was great, and probably all the racing and, and fooling around we're going to get to do, and it was plenty, and it was great. And he goes, hey, you want to drive a real supercar? Come to the test. Mm. Uh, I didn't have a you know a proper suit or a, a helmet or anything, so I borrowed Owen Kelly's. Me and Owen at that time were about the same size and everything else, and so yep. I show up to Queensland. I'm pretty damn nervous, but because uh, you v- I've never drove a car where you sit on the passenger side. Oh, that's right. Yeah, oh. right? The steering wheel's on the other side of, of the car, and but uh, it had an H pattern shifter in it. And I'm shifting Short with my job. left hand. Right. So everything's sort of backwards as far as how I'm going to use, you know, the my the muscle memory is all upside down and backwards, whatever. I don't know. So anyways, they ha- he has a car that's last year's car. They got a brand new car with a new body and everything they're testing with Russell. And uh, I'm going to drive this car that was last year's car. And it's basically what would be the, uh, is what's that series? It's kind of like the Xfinity series is here.
3: Yeah, it would have been uh, Super 2, we yeah. we call it now. Super 2? Yeah, exactly two?
0: right. Yep. Okay. So, uh, and these are the, you know, it's exactly what the Xfinity Series is here. So mm-hmm. young drivers, uh, relatively, uh, you know, a year or two old race car, uh, maybe some older cars in that series for sure. But uh, these are the guys that are going to be in the big v- V8 Supercar Series one day. And uh, he he basically set me in that car, and I got to drive it, all day long, I'd run some laps, come in. And I'm like, "All right," he goes, "Keep running." Okay, jump back in, run some more, get out, drink a, drink of a water, hop back in, run some more. I mean, all day long, just running, running, run this car to death. He even let TJ take it out. TJ
3: majors, nice, right? He's well, you, like, "You told me TJ was a race car driver, but, I, but I'm not quite sure about that." <laughs> he did a terrible job. So <laughs> TJ's race did, start. He, like, he, he didn't. He took off out of pit lane, the quickest I've ever seen anyone go, and he never made it past 2 and one. True story.
0: <laughs> Did he spin it? No, he missed the corner. He just missed it. Yeah, just
3: drove so, out. He
0: so TJ races our late model, super good. You know, he's really good at uh, racing an oval, and I've raced online with him uh, for years. So I thought, you know, hey, it's you know, he can figure this out. This can't be that hard. TJ gets in it, like like Paul said, balls to the wall. As soon as he. As soon as he drops the clutch on pit road, straight wide open out of the pits, I mean he's he's not working his way up to to this thing at all. He's just as going as hard as he can. Goes to the first corner, heavy braking zone, and misses the braking mark by like a thousand feet, and sh- drives and locks up the front tires and goes straight off the racetrack into the dirt and comes right back in. He's like, it's not, it doesn't stop.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the car. <laughs>
0: I'm like TJ. You got to you got to break TJ.
3: Yeah, you got to slow that thing down, TJ. Yeah, because he just come out of the trailer wearing Owen's helmet and his thing, and there was some media there that day as well, and absolutely no one had any idea Dar was driving that car. It was it was pretty good.
0: Yeah, that is fun. That's it was. Do it. Yeah, we got. I got to uh, really see what those cars feel like. I mean, I again, I I'm trying to you know frame this up for you. I'm going to Australia. This is going to be an incredible trip. I'm going to go to Phillip Island and watch a V8 supercar race for a motorsports fan that lives in America. This is a really once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Well, then I found myself driving school cars then driving an actual V8 supercar a couple days later. A Holden? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I never imagined any of that would happen, and it wouldn't have happened without Paul. And Paul was—Paul um, never had a second thought about any of it. He's like, "Here, do it. Here it is. Here's the keys. Here's this. Here's that." I mean, it made the trip for me, and my my buddies really enjoyed it as well. It made the trip multiple times better than it would have ever been. So uh, that's how, and we become such great friends because of that. You know, that trust and uh, just easy to be around. And we're going to give you TJ to, to uh, help, help with your school. Do you want us to send him
1: back, you know, as a kind of a favor?
3: Yeah, well, I'd love to have TJ back. He needs to go to the school. That's one guy that needs to come and spend probably a few months at the school.
1: <laughs> <laughs> could you make a driver out of him?
3: Yeah, I reckon I could. I think he just needed to uh, relax. He, I think he thought he was going to get signed up or something. <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely there to put on the show.
1: <laughs> I love it. So... We, we, I gotta ask you about the the super trucks, the the stadium trucks yeah, yeah. that you're rac- racing. It's because uh, I mean, obviously, you had an awesome career winning Bathurst. I mean, how many times have you won Bathurst?
3: The one thousand I've won twice, and the first time I got disqualified. But there's three other endurance endurance races at Bathurst, and I've won I've won all of those races: the five hundred, the twelve hour, and the four hour.
0: You're the only person to have won all three major uh, events at that track, right?
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: And so. To, to, for fans that have never heard of Bathurst, uh, Mount Panorama, to me, if you haven't ever heard of this racetrack, absolutely Google it, YouTube, whatever you can. In my mind, by far, this is the most treacherous, mm. technical, dangerous uh, racetrack that you'll ever see. Uh, one of our one part of our trip was that uh, we all hopped in a van, uh, me, TJ, and the guys, and drove there. To see it with our own eyes, uh, and we and you and it's a public street. People live on this racetrack, right? And you can drive around it. And we took a lap around it in the minivan. We went into the museum. We bought some die casts. We we watched this video that they show you about the history of the track. Do you guys and Paul? So we appreciate like for me. There's Daytona. There's Bristol. There's there's these tracks that just mean more than. Uh, Than than anything to us or to me, Uh, is that the way you guys feel about Bathurst? Is Bathurst the Daytona for you guys?
3: Yeah, I think it's probably can even be bigger than that. It's 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 um it's something in Australia that everyone watches. So the Bathurst One Thousand is an event where no matter what you do, where you grow up, you'll you'll turn on the television at six o'clock in the morning and you'll watch that race till six o'clock at night. There's twelve hours worth of television coverage on race day and everyone knows who won, who who wins that race, whether you're into racing or not. But what makes it so special is is the, the racetrack and eighty percent of it you've got to drive off memory. You, you, the corners are blind, so you, you you have to drive the track off 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 memory. So that's that's why it's such a such an awesome racetrack. track. And then there's parts of it that still reward old-fashioned putting your balls on the dash bravery. You know, you gotta you gotta man up and, and wheel the thing, and it, and it rewards lap time.
0: So it does have a lot of blind corners, a lot of elevation changes, and then it's got these. It's got the backstretch, uh, which is incredibly long downhill, um, just blinding speeds into a, a, a really really hard braking zone. This track really has everything. Uh, that that all the wildest and most respected racetracks across the world have.
3: Yeah, yeah. Good I would come and race there.
0: I am never going to race on that racetrack. <laughs> <laughs> now, I would love to come, you know, see a race. I would love to come witness a race there. And, and uh, but yeah, I'm never, uh, I'm never going to do that.
1: Well, one other thing. And I mean, I guess we're just novice fans here, and that you learn, you go to YouTube and watch, you know, some clips of that Bathurst 12. You know, when they're running at night. And those headlights—they got the headlights on the cars. I mean, it's like literally driving down a country road in the middle of the night. As dark as you would imagine, that is. That's what it looks like. Only you're with other cars, and you're going—you uh, know—off uh, memory. It—it—it it, it makes me nervous just watching a YouTube video of it. It's amazing. I can't believe how how dangerous it looks. Now, you raced there. Do you remember the first time you went
3: there, Paul? Uh yeah, I remember the first—the first time I raced there would have been. 1989 in a Formula Four little open wheel car. So, how fast did that time.
0: car go down the hill?
3: Uh, it would have done 140 miles an hour, oh, yeah. probably. No thanks. Little car.
0: Yeah.
1: And this would have been before you would have been able to establish memories of it. So, how how uh, uh, nerve wracking would it have been to run that for the first time?
3: Uh, I I was young, mate. I was excited. I wasn't any nerves back then. So, yeah, it's. I think that that was the first time. And then um, the first time I went there in a a touring car was 1991. It's an amazing place. Like if you go back, first time I went there was 91. And then 1992, I was there in factory BMW driving with uh, a guy called Denny Hull, who was a 1967 Formula One world champion. I was teamed up with him and he actually died in that race just before I was about to get in the car. So, Wow. But they didn't race, they just carted him off the hospital and kept the race going. It, it's, it's just one of those places. What did you do? I, I just um, didn't – I was more worried about not getting in the car, to tell you the truth. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to get a drive. And then he's died. You're just young and all you want to do is race. So, yeah, I just thought I'd better come back next year.
0: There's been a lot it's, of uh, – yeah, there's been a lot of tragedy uh, at that racetrack and it just, you know, uh, confirms the, how treacherous it can be um yeah you, you know your racing career you mentioned how you started in in the late 80s you ran in the uh australian super touring car uh series in the mid 90s and won a championship in 95 97 99 2000 driving a bmw yep um you just seem to be dominating i've I watched a lot of those races uh we would get those races on tv um sometimes and um and i when i went to Australia, I bought a bunch of videos and stuff as well of, of the history of motorsports in Australia, and you're on those videos in that car. You just dominated that series. You owned the car, too. That was your
3: team's car, right? Uh, no, no, that was a factory BMW car. Okay. Yeah, And in 1999, the, the factory BMW team disbanded. And then um, a, a, a guy who I'm still friends with now, he, he owned the car for one year. It was a private, private private entry car so
0: okay just having that factory uh, support from bmw was that the answer is that the reason for the domination
3: uh yeah there's a fair bit of it so you used to get updates all the time and what you had with that bmw was you had teams all around the world so there'd be a team in italy germany england france and they'd send a, a kit and and a, all these teams operating around the world all the information would get pooled every weekend so you just kept getting constant constant updates and it, that was eventually what killed that formula because what was meant to be a, a pretty simple formula by the time it finished that super touring with the cars just become that expensive and the manufacturers all got into a into a war where it just imploded so yeah wow but that were cool cars to drive man. very cool
0: you stepped away from that series uh, after 97. Uh, well, you, you came overseas to America and raced into Indy Lights. I had no idea that you even did that till I started researching for this interview. I've known you forever and did not know that you ran a whole year over here in Indy Lights. I did. What was that like?
3: I had a good time. I've, I, I, um, it, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. I didn't quite know what to make of I just What I bought was a Dodge Ram pickup truck. And then I bought a what I call a caravan, but you call it a camper trailer or a thirty-foot van. And I basically just lived in that for a year and and drove around um, and went to all the races. But then I ended with a I had a really bad accident at Michigan and and got a, a head injury. And then uh, that, I didn't finish the year out. I, I needed to come home and and uh, you know get myself well again. But at, at the moment, actually reading through your story, Dale, helped me. Up what happened to me back then all those years ago I'm like oh that's what happened to me no you know, kidding I was just, yeah yeah true I was, I was like okay that's what happened I'd come back home and I was like I don't feel too good you know it probably took me four or five months to get going properly but
1: oh so no you, one knew what on. yeah you, that's a, you hear that a lot yeah. about people that didn't know what concussions were and you're saying that you would have had a concussion and that makes sense on what what, what happened
3: yeah I just thought I was having a bad day for about three months but <laughs> Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. You had another. Uh, speaking of crashing and 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 injuries, one of the most uh, well-known crashes that you were in was a uh, on the start on the starting grid one year in the V8 Supercars. Two thousand. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Big fire. Yeah.
0: So yep. um, something happened to your car on the starting grid. Stalled it, or it broke, or wouldn't go. Whatever. Um, yep. Y'all do a standing start. So car, you're up toward the front. And cars are going around you. I mean, these things launch and, and take off. And so,
3: so not ro- not a rolling start right. in Australia to start from, you know, drop the clutch and go. Yeah.
0: So. But they launch and they, in, in just a very short period of time, they're going really fast. And the guys in the back of the field, by the time they got to Paul, um, I don't know how fast the guy was going when he hit you, but they're all going around Paul. And all of a sudden, the one guy, when the seas parted, there's Paul Morris, and the guy just hits him at full speed. Broke a bunch of vertebrae in your back. Car catches on fire.
1: Yeah, full tank of gas. Uh, so that thing went up. Went Paul up with his
0: back broken in multiple places comes crawling out of the car. Yeah. What was uh, And you still have that chassis at your school.
3: Yeah, yeah, still got that car. And there's a guy trying to buy that car at the moment because everyone's worked out that that car actually – the year before was won an, won an Australian touring car championship in the hands of hands of Craig Lounds. So there's people now that want to buy that car and restore it because it's worth so much money because it's still intact. Yeah, only only half, but they can fix the back of it. But yeah. well, the, the funniest thing about that was, I ended up being airlifted to the local hospital, and by the time I got to the local hospital, they just thought I'd been in a, in a road accident. And, and we had no proper medical care for drivers or anything in Australia. Back and I'd been in hospital for about four or five days before the, the organization or, or the, the governing body had even realized that no one was looking after me properly. So that made me want to make, make things a lot better for driver safety and all that in Australia as well, having that bad experience.
0: And you did that. You got involved in uh, – you, you became like a, a member of the uh, V8 Supercar uh, – what was that?
3: It's it's basically the board. So V8 Supercars, it was back then, was controlled 75% by the team owners, and 25% of it was owned by a sports and marketing company. And the team owners elected four team owners to be on the board. So when I was, I, I got involved, become a board member, got got involved in basically the running and the sport. It it, it it'd be like four Four team owners in, in NASCAR having a, a majority of say of how the sports operated.
1: And so when you say you started making uh, uh, or, or addressing issues, were you talking about like in the way that, that you guys are cared for after the crash? Or are you talking about the safety in the car and, and, and uh, bit, both, mainly,
3: mainly from a driver's point of view, there was nothing. You just put in the local ambulance and off you went to the hospital and, and hopefully you got well. So, but now we have an amazing system in supercars where you know they have have proper records on all the all the drivers. There's a, there's, a, there's a doctor there that knows all the drivers histories similar similar things that you guys would have had in place for a long time. But never found its way down here.
1: I would imagine four or five days in the hospital, uh, and it's Paul. He probably would have a thing or two to say. I don't know if he. What kind of patient are you? What kind of hospital patient are you?
3: No, I wasn't. I wasn't a very good patient, but but um, yeah, it was a bad it was a bad situation. That that that. I think um, I think you know we have our, our medical care in Australia is um, free. You don't you don't have to have insurance. You don't have to have anything like that. We're very fortunate. If you if you, something goes wrong with you, you just turn up to the hospital and, and they'll they'll fix, fix what, what your problem is. But sometimes it takes a long time to fix your problem. You know, right? It, you just you didn't you just miss a race on. though, right? Is, he didn't, is that no? True? Yeah,
1: that was his first year in, in the supercars, I believe. Right, Paul, and you didn't miss a race.
3: Uh, no, I didn't. I drove, I think I drove three weeks later with broken vertebrae. That's how stupid I was.
1: Wow. Damn. Three weeks later. <laughs> my goodness. And that's only two weeks out of the hospital. Because yeah. <laughs> so, oh, he he That's amazing. So if you go back and compare, like, was that Michigan crash uh, that you, if you had not suffered a concussion, how do you think you would have stayed here and, and done Indy Lights even longer than just 98?
3: Yeah, I think I would have. I reckon I would have stayed there and probably found my way down to, nascar or something like that somewhere but i think there was a just before that happened i think that a guy named jerry nadu had a big big crash yep you're right and yep. someone one of the engineers that was working at that team had tracked me down in, in a in america and said can you come down here and and, and run this car on a road course for us because he was an australian guy and, and that, that could have happened if I had not had that crash. I reckon I would have found my way down
0: there. Wow. That'd have been interesting.
1: That would have. Wow. So were you, other than you and Dale having drunk conversations and then other than, than, than you and, and that Jerry and they do, like, how serious have you ever had opportunities when it comes to running NASCAR? And would you ever consider it even now?
3: Oh yeah, of course you would. It's that'd be an amazing thing to go and do. And, and, um, it's it's one of the it's one of the sports that I love to watch. I love the way they race. I love the way that the drivers get to sort their own problems out themselves. Our sport in Australia can be over officiated, so the officials can stick their nose into the drivers' problems too much. I love that part of racing in America and especially NASCAR that you know let let the drivers handle it. And, I, and that would something I'd really love to be involved in.
1: Now, that is an interesting point right there. I think there's a lot of people that would listen to us, and we're spoiled rotten over here, right? We, we, we watch NASCAR, we complain about. We would I would almost bet that fans would think that we are over-appreciated.
2: Yes, I thought that. That
1: NASCAR, right, right. And that the drivers don't sort themselves out. But Paul is saying, no, no, you do sort it out. Is that right? I'm hearing you right.
3: Yeah, like if you look at the European or the Australian way of going motor racing, there's someone in the control tower, there's someone like in supercars now, every car has an onboard camera with data and, and they'll basically pull the vision out of your car and look at every accident and try and determine who's at fault. And most of the times they do a really, really bad job of doing that because they're not race car drivers. Mm. And we've had a retired race car driver called Craig Baird come into that position in Australia and, and clean it up and make it a lot lot better. But... If there's, if there's rules written down, he still has to go by them. So, the best thing I like about NASCAR racing is they don't get involved unless it gets to a crisis. Yeah. Okay. If the drivers aren't sorted out themselves and there's a crisis, you're probably going to go for a walk and have a talk to someone. But that's, that's the best thing I like about it because you don't know what's going to happen. Is the guy going to pay him back? Is he going to wait till next week? There's so many cool things about racing in America that you guys don't appreciate.
1: I would almost want to ask, what else, do, what else do we not appreciate? I think this is a good lesson for us. What else do we, we – got the drivers that can sort things out. What else about NASCAR do you think we take for granted?
3: Uh, I think you take for granted how, how good – how mainstream your sport is in the media. Mm. You have major newspapers, television, um, all, all, the, all different types of media trying to get – to the drivers and to the teams and get stories out of them. Where in Australia, it's the opposite way that the teams are trying to get mainstream media to go, hello, we're here. Can you please report on us? It's, it's, it's amazing how, how mainstream the sport is.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that a hundred percent. That's interesting. It's good to hear. Paul, I got a, I want to step back to your uh, driving career, 52 years old right now. Um, You've been driving a long time, but most recently, uh, 2014, you won Bathurst 1000, 2017, you won the six hour, you're stadium truck, super, cha- uh, super truck champion in 2017. These are all recent events. Uh, at 52 years old, what's, what is left? Is there anything left that you want to do that would, that would, uh, you know, entice you to put the suit back on and get back in there and compete?
3: Nothing particular, but I still like to race. Uh, it's, it's, the stadium truck thing is, is something I love to do because, when I stopped racing full time, I was left with this big void in my life. Mm. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then the stadium thing, truck thing turned up and it was like, Oh, this is fun. I can go and race. It's not too serious. And then when I got into it, I realized it was just as serious as anything else going out there. anything I want to do. No, I I think I'm I'm pretty content of, of where I'm at, but like, I'll race anything, anytime, anywhere. If there's an opportunity to get in something and have a drive and have some fun, yeah, I'll go and do it.
0: So I see every once in a while you work on the little Aussie car. Um, explain to people what that is first.
3: A little Aussie car. So my easiest way to explain that is take a, a legend car, which everyone should know what we're yes. talking about. Yep. Yep. A legend car and put a modern a modern body on it. Okay. So it's, that's what it is.
0: And yeah. so I see you race that every once in a while. What What makes you – look at that car in the garage and go, let's take it and race this weekend. Well, how, how, how come you, how come I see you pop that car out of the garage every once in a while?
3: Uh, probably the tracks you get to go to. So there was a race for the Aussie cars at Bathurst when the as a support race when the 12-hour was on. Uh, I could race at the Gold Coast last year, which is my hometown. So just the cool events that you can go and on, go on race at and compete at and, and be part of because I'm not a good spectator. Yeah, I'd rather be involved somewhere. So you have the driving school,
0: and yep. um, what what racing is happening out of that complex? I know your son races. Uh, you got a couple other guys in the school that are instructors that drive as well. But what racing are you doing? Is your is is your family doing, or or who's racing out of the complex there?
3: Uh, this year, just just my own stuff. So last year we had uh Super 2 a Super 3 car and three three kids in Toyota 86s. Yeah. But um this year I've I've just just gone I need to chill out a bit. Just um try and turn things back a bit and try and make things a bit more normal. So basically only my my own car and whatever Nash is trying to work out what he's going to be racing.
0: What is he go- So Nash is your son and uh I've you know we've I've known Nash for a long long time and he just recently his dove head first into the driving. And how old is he? About? about?
3: He's seventeen, so okay. he wasn't interested at in all in racing one bit. Um till what, a year and a half ago? it's, it's probably a year ago, yesterday, I think. <laughs> that he came and showed <laughs> a picture and said, Hey, look, Dad, it's been a year since I had my first race. I'm like, Oh, that's good. You've you've done a fair bit in that year, mate. Good on you. Well done. But um yeah, so but to me it was important if he was gonna go racing he had to understand what it was all about. So you know, and I'll so, take him to any race he wants to, as long as he can build his own car together.
0: And so that's what he's been doing. What's he racing now? What do you call that?
3: It's it's basically we call it a it's a Hyundai XL. So they what they've done they've taken a small little front wheel drive production car and turned it into a very inexpensive, easy to run race car. Like like most things, when you start racing them, it can get a bit expensive when you start doing things right. But it's probably. Four or five hundred of those cars racing throughout Australia. Uh, father and son can build a car relatively cheap and, and and go and be competitive. So, you know, we'll we'll pick that up and go and race anywhere in Australia. You know, most weekends we'll find a race somewhere and go. And-
0: That's amazing. That sounds fun.
3: And if you follow Paul on Instagram, he
0: he posts his uh, his trips in his stories. They'll hit, they'll load the truck up, put the car in uh you get to follow along as Paul's riding down the street and driving through the countryside and they'll go to the race and race and compete and Paul doesn't really focus on the performance or the results it's really more about the experience and maybe what you know what they learned which is always pretty fun i think Paul kind of approaches you know racing as a father, uh, there's a lot of avenues you can you can take when you're trying to race with your son and trying to help him get understand what he's doing. And I think Paul does a really good job of of doing that. We see dads all around us with their sons, their daughters racing, introducing them into racing, and how they how they go about that is really critical. And so, how would you grade Nash's first year? What would you what would you uh, what would you say about Nash as a race car driver?
3: He's done pretty good because most people he's racing against been racing for ten, twelve years in go-karts or whatever. So yeah, I, I, I'm pretty happy. But the main thing is that he's he's learning and having a good time. Like, and, and I reckon motor racing is the best school of life you'll ever go to because you need to know how to talk to people. You need to know how to be respectful. You need to know how to be competitive. You need to know how to read because you've got to read the regulations. <laughs> you need. To or if you, if you fall, fall foul of the regulations and you've got to represent yourself in all those different avenues you, you just can't call someone in so i mean um well you can't in australia if you get in trouble with the authorities at the racetrack i can't go in and defend for him he's got to go and deal with that himself so it's it's the best school of life around and the best thing you can do as a parent is 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 not be a, a bmx dad you know Got to sit back and and let them make their own mistakes. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's
1: that's funny. I've never heard that BMX. That's
0: kind of what I was trying to say. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) just it's perfect. I just like his style, and you know, he's kind of letting Nash go at his own pace and not putting too much. You know, from this is just from an outsider looking uh, or all the way on the other side of the globe. (laughs)
1: <laughs> is, um, yeah. is 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 nash's racing career is, is that fulfilling you from because uh, you said that when you had you know when you went and retired from the the v8 supercars or you announced that i think in 2015 i was curious on how quickly you went right into the stadium trucks because it seemed like it was pretty instant um but and but i'm curious are you still doing the stadium trucks and if if not i mean is nash's racing career what has supplanted that for you
3: you're not a psychiatrist or a psychologist or anything, anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what's going on.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Well, yeah, you, I'll send you the bill for this.
3: Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's you, yeah, it has. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd much rather go on, and not only Nash, there's there's a lot of other young guys that I help as well. Like that are, that I I get a lot of enjoyment out of because, um, you know, they can do it better than I can it now. When I'm getting older, and if you can just sit back and relax and watch them do things that you've taught them, it, it definitely fulfills a big void for sure.
1: So, so are you doing stadium trucks at all?
3: Uh, yeah, there was a, we, I raced at Adelaide here in Australia. It was the first round, so we, we had the first round. Um, and then the COVID-19 thing hit, so everything's been put on hold. So, yeah. so gotcha. let,
0: me, let me ask you this. The, the stadium super truck, when I heard about that, Robbie Gordon is the creator of the stadium super truck series. And uh, trying to imagine you and Robbie Gordon in the same room together is, is, is is interesting. But, uh, I, I've always thought that that was a sort of a traveling circus. Robbie owned all the trucks and would just take all the trucks to the tracks. He would holler, he would holler at you or Casey Mears or maybe Greg Biffle, get somebody to come out and race, fill up all the trucks with drivers, go out there, put on a show load them up, go to the next event. But you say that it's much more serious than than you anticipated. So, you know, and and they do race. You know, is it the same trucks that I see racing in America that are racing in Australia? Is it a different set of
3: trucks? Uh, Yeah. He's he, I think he's got like 30-odd 30, 30 trucks, and Dang. they're moving around the world the whole time. So There'll be 10 here, 10 in America. He'll get hurt. He'll send it back. He's, he's, you know, Robbie's got everything going at once. He's the world's best juggler. Yeah, and it, yeah. So, are al- the
0: same. I've always uh, maybe imagined it uh, less like uh, an you know a, a motorsports organization and more like kind of what the monster truck guys do, where they get all of them together and they go huh. into a town and put on a show. Mm. Uh, you know, you have the jumps and the the theatrics of the stadium super trucks. Oh, it's crazy! Is insane. Yeah. Um. But uh, is any of it choreographed? Like, is it, is it? No. None of it. So when you're out there watching them race, the, you know, they're, you're, going for the, you're going for the win. And
3: yeah, you're going hard. Going hard. So the only rule Robbie has is don't pass anyone before turn one because we don't want to stink up the show without getting past turn one. And once you get past turn one, the gloves are off.
0: Wow. Okay.
3: Yeah. That's, that's basically what it is.
1: Paul, yeah. is it true? I, I was reading something about it where uh, the, the sport had been temporarily banned or something like that in 2018 because of safety reasons. Did I read that right?
3: Yeah, I, that that's another funny story. Yeah. So what happened? We we're in we we're in uh, Northern Territory, Darwin, where there there aren't many rules up there. It's the last frontier, but one rule they what they don't like is people doing burnouts in stadium trucks out 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 the front of. Nightclubs in the
2: main
0: street in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I'm I, I processing
1: everything you just said right there.
0: Who was doing a burnout in the stadium truck in the middle of the night out in front of the nightclub? Robbie, Robbie Gordon, Robbie. <laughs> of course. And so, big, big they, surprise. That was what that was what brought down the stadium super anything, truck series.
3: Anything wrong was was wrong with that? What happened was we're sitting there sitting there in, the, in a bar and there was a stadium truck on, on display in the, in the, at the front of the bar. We'd done some deal where the guy had given us a couple of grand across the bar and put a sticker on the truck for the weekend. We're like, oh, that's good. We can all go to the bar and eat and drink and have a good time. And the guy, can you put a stadium truck on display, Robbie? He goes, yeah, yeah, I'll bring one down. So the, the flatbed dropped the truck off and at about 10 o'clock that night, the flatbed come to pick up the truck. So Robbie's rolled out of the bar started the truck up, threw a couple of burnouts, and put it on the flatbed, and off it went. And then the police didn't like that.
0: <laughs> so that was how the series was banned? Or yeah, yeah, Closed yeah. down for a year?
1: Okay, so, yeah, because it says, the SST oh. was banned by the Confederation of Australian Motorsport later that month for safety reasons. It was about burnouts at the bar by Robbie <laughs> Gordon.
3: Well, yeah, it was about that, and probably the... What, what you have is the the confederation of Australia Motorsport or motorsport australia that controls all that yeah, they're they're a pretty old organization that that think they're a bit more important than they are and the the crux of the matter is they didn't like Robbie because he's probably a bit too flamboyant so uh, uh, to put a they issued him a fine at at one of the races and he put in a pizza box and lit it on fire and took a picture of it they're not they're not going to oh my god <laughs>
0: <laughs> what the? What did I just hear? <laughs> I don't know, man. Paul sounds a lot like you. I mean, uh, uh, Robbie, Robbie sounds, sounds, like, sounds a lot like Paul. You sure you didn't? Do
1: that? Right, right. And and they think that Robbie was just too flamboyant for Robbie's, them. That, that was new to them. Yeah, this Robbie
3: sounds like, sounds like, like uh, he fits right in. Anyway, they've they've sorted out their differences now, and they and uh, they all get on famously. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> my goodness,
3: I don't know who I don't know who, who broke that deal, but. Must be someone with a lot of connections in Australia.
0: Is his name Paul? <laughs>
1: the kind of guy that'll fly a helicopter on top of a casino, maybe?
3: Uh, there was a lot of people that are involved in sorting that out. But the stadium trucks are, are a good thing. And, yeah, that they're, they're, they're good entertainment. The kids love them. And what what how what works well in Australia, and, and, and it works really well at those big events. Like if you, you're going to the Long Beach Grand Prix or the Detroit Grand Prix, and you've got people that normally wouldn't come to a race. It keeps kids and keeps the the casual person engaged. And hopefully they look at the stadium trucks and they look at the other classes and gets people involved in racing.
1: I started watching his suit. When I heard that Paul Morris was going to be running something called a stadium super truck, I said, I got to check this out. And when I saw it for the first time, Paul, I was like, I can't imagine there being anything more Paul Morris like than a stadium super truck. And I saw you guys ripping around those turns and over those, those heels, and I'm like, my God, it looks like so much. I mean, knowing you, that looks like you're right up your alley. I mean, I can just imagine you just grinning while you're driving that thing.
3: Yeah, that's what happens. And then you get in some, you get in. If you look at the stadium track, um, and you look at the problems that you have now in in NASCAR, and especially now in Australia, the the, the cars create downforce, and then you can't follow anyone. Well, the the stadium track, the fast tracks creates up force. The guy in front is the guy that's going to lose because he's su- punching such a big hole in the air that the three guys behind him are going to pass him. You, there's just, there's, you just cannot not pass. So if you, you're at Watkins Glen and you're coming up through those those back back corners down to, that, to the bus stop there, if you're on third, by the time you get to the bus stop, you're definitely going to be in first. It's, it just creates good racing. Yeah.
0: Hey, um, me and Matthew Dillner, uh, my producer here for the podcast, are – we got a show coming out in July called Lost. Yeah, yeah. Lost Speedways. Yeah. It's about abandoned race tracks. Uh, one of the most famous abandoned race tracks in Australia, the, under, the Thunderdome. Uh, yeah. yeah, big oval. Back in the uh, it was built back in the eighties. Uh, they used to have stock car races there. Neil Bonnet, Bobby Allison, uh, guys would go over there. Dave Marcus, Kyle Petty, uh, Michael Walter. all went over there to race stock cars around the oval. Big, beautiful, D-shaped asphalt oval. I mean, it's just uh, what you would expect if somebody's going to build a uh, a stock car track in America today. Uh, But it's now closed down. It's now a ghost track. Is the whole complex closed down or just the oval?
3: Just the oval. And the the problem they had with the oval when it was built, the the fill that they used to, to build the banking and everything wasn't compacted properly. And it's basically got uh structural problems so that's the problem with the oval but they've got a drag strip there and a, another circuit and um i think just recently they, they spent a lot of money on the drag strip there getting that up and running again but yeah i, I don't ever see that oval come back to life
0: mm. no i don't think you will but maybe we could do a show maybe we could do an episode on it if we get if, if our show gets picked up if we get season two of yeah. lost speedways yeah.
1: we'll see how season one works that would be
0: a reason to get to australia and see paul yeah, you take us s- do that. Had you ever went around that oval?
3: Yep. In what? Yep. Uh, in touring car, they'd run races there where you have to run the oval backwards and bat down onto the like a roval type thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Had you ever run around the oval in a, in anything else like?
3: Only the Indy Lights car. How was that? I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was the most easiest thing I'd ever done. So. <laughs> 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 to worry about it was like oh, this is this is okay. But you But were- then the shoots. Guys, you better have a good car on an oval. If the car's no good, you're not going to carry it, are
0: you? No, nah, that's for sure. You can't make a slow car go fast. Uh, go ahead,
1: Matthew. Matthew's, Matthew's got, got a question quit. here.
2: Uh, I've, hey, never, I've never met you, well, except for last night when we had the little test uh, uh, of the Zoom. I've never met you, but I've, all I've heard is through Dale about how much fun you are. And last night I go on, the other day I go on Wikipedia and you gotta edit the Wikipedia page because it doesn't say the dude; it says the it. dud. I fixed did it you last fix night. It? I
0: edited that thank, myself.
2: Thank you, because I mean, you ain't, you ain't a dud at all. Yeah, but that's but, the
0: first time I've ever uh, edited a Wikipedia.
1: You oh really? Did, you did Paul Morris. It said.
0: It's Paul, somebody misspelled dude. It said Paul the dud. The dud. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, we got to fix that. How do I fix this? How do I fix this? So I'm navigating around Wikipedia, and I'm like, I know, I know that this is like, this is like a public uh, edited, uh, public controlled content. So I figured out the buttons and all that and went in there and, and added the E. Fixed it.
2: Well, my first correspondence with Paul, he texted me back when I said, hey, would you be on the show and stuff? And he said, Ripper, mate. What the hell is Ripper? What's what's Ripper mate?
3: Uh, I don't know. That's like, that's that's good, buddy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
2: okay. Ripper mate, and I'm like, sure. Sweet, that's awesome. I don't know what a Ripper Sweet. is. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Ripper mate.
1: <laughs> oh my god. R- Ripper mate is the kind of thing you'd say to somebody who just edited your Wikipedia page yeah. and yeah. fixed the dud to the dude.
0: Ripper mate.
3: Thank you. You're a, you're a very nice person. <laughs> I can't
0: let I can't let you be uh, misrepresented the dud. out there. Can't, yeah,
1: the dud. You Can't let the man be the dud. Right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what what uh, lingo did you le- learn? Uh, you you spent time down there. You know I've heard you say the vibe down there, Dale, is is so different. Like what what was so different about you know the interactions and stuff like that too.
0: The um, I really uh, liked the uh, the way Australians uh, sort of view the or approach their approach to life is uh, they just don't take things that seriously. You know we kind of I, I say we um I you know things get under our skin, things bother us things things sort of uh you know something you might read something and it might bother you all day long Mike um we've talked about that uh we're sensitive mm-hmm. uh too sensitive, wound up, wound up, strung out um Australians are take it as it comes, pretty loose they get you know they they they, they don't like something, they say they don't like it, but that's the end of it. I don't know. You know, just watch. If you watch Paul on on uh, on his social media, and maybe not all Australians are like this. I don't know. We just, but the ones I met when we went over there to visit, they all kind of had that attitude of of what's the big deal? It's all right. It's going to be fine. Uh, Let's have some fun. Why worry about that right now? I want to have a good time. You know. Uh, So, I've always, uh, yeah. I'll tell you, it's the funnest place that I've ever visited. I've been all over this uh, the, the world to different uh, cultures and so forth and I'm it, it's a long ways uh it's a long trip but it is worth it man it is the best place that I've ever went to visit on vacation or uh beautiful it's it's amazing uh to you know as far as the the oceans and 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 the countryside and everything it's just incredible but uh the personality and the you know the attitude of uh, the people that we, we inter- interacted with was really, really great. Um, they just want to have a good time. They're glad you're there.
1: Does he have you all pegged right, Paul?
3: Yeah, he's pretty well got it, got it on the money. I think because you just – the lifestyle here is pretty, pretty laid back, you know. You, you can go down the beach and, you know, you, a shark could grab you but Like, oh, well, you know, people – you can go for a swim. Like, oh, I can go out the front of my place right now. There's a river there, and I know there's sharks in the river, but I'll still go in the river. People just accept that things can happen to you and don't want to blame everyone for it. So that's just what happens here. I, I
1: bet, Paul Moore. I, I bet
3: you have a shark story, don't you? Do you have
1: a shark story?
3: I've got a, I've got a few shark stories. Yeah, nothing worth nothing that no one's ever been hurt. But <laughs> <laughs> but you probably yeah, I do have a good shark story. Go ahead. We were racing uh, uh, Trans Am cars in New Zealand back in 1996, and I met these two English girls that were backpacking around, around New Zealand. But long story short, they ended up coming to Australia and ended up staying at my house for about three or four months and they'd swim in the river every day. And I said, yeah, you better be careful swimming in that river, you know, middle of summer, middle of the day, there's sharks in there, you know. They're like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And they were just the day for to leave, they, were, they bought themselves a, a car and they're gonna drive up to the Great Barrier Reef, up where you and nail in the plane there, up to the to the reef. Backed all their car up. One of them went for a swim, jumped off the dock. Halfway across the river, she got nailed by a shark. Nailed. Nailed. Bitten on the leg, screaming. We haul her out of the river, take her into the hospital. She's in hospital for about uh, about three weeks. The newspapers become involved, Everyone becomes. Well, I, I sold, got them to sell their story to like the what we call the People Magazine Australia. It's probably a bit like the National Enquirer. Evelished the story, but they they ended up with about six thousand bucks, and that made their trip. trip <laughs> <laughs> and we we reenacted it. We had my friend diving off a boat, and he took photos and pulling her out of the water. We reenacted the story and photo pictorial, and the whole thing. I have to see if I can find it, but and then about twenty years later, I've watching the tv and i see this thing come on you know when sharks attack and i i see the girl come up you know she's like oh yes yeah, when i was in australia i got bitten by this shark and da, 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 da.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just did, did we have any doubt that there was a shark story of paul I, I remember like i can't who are we talking to dale when it's like um uh, yeah so i was with paul morris and we crashed a helicopter and we got out and we were like <laughs> What whoa what crashed a <laughs> helicopter who was it? That would it? have been Lee, Lee, Lee Diffie. Lee Diffie. Yes, it was Lee Diffie. That's what we Lee Diffie's, like, you know, and, and we were like, he just kind of glossed over the crash to helicopter part like it was just a regular Tuesday in the life of Paul Morris.
3: Oh, that was a bad day. That was that wasn't it, but it was a yeah, we survived a helicopter crash. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez.
0: Paul. I know it's getting late over there, buddy. I appreciate yeah, you. Come, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. A lot of fun catching up. Selfishly, for me, is just a great opportunity just to see you and talk to you again. And uh, I hope you're doing well. Fans are going to love listening to this and getting to learn a little bit more about you. And hopefully, they'll start following you on social media. If you get some new followers,
3: oh, that i blame you.
0: Yeah, blame me for it. And uh, keep keep sending I- that. Keep sharing that great content, man. Because I'm, am I swear, I miss, I miss Australia. I miss being over there and hanging out with you. But being able to see what's going on in your life uh, does make it a lot better. Until, uh, until we can get back over there again, buddy.
3: Yeah, cool, mate. It's good speaking to you guys, and it's cool watching what you're doing, mate. The way you, I really like your interviewing style and how how you find all different stories and, and different people you are And it's listening to your show is one of the highlights of my week. So. Pretty cool to be on.
0: Thank you, man. Very, thank you. Yes, sir. Hey, it's our pleasure. Tell Nash when he gets up in the morning that we're uh, big fans of his. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm following his career, and I only get my updates through you. So keep up the good work uh, uh, promoting Nash and it's everything he's got going on.
1: Paul the Dude Morris on Instagram. That's where you go follow. That's where you oh, need yeah. to go, everybody. Yeah. Paul the Dude Morris,
0: not the Dud. <laughs> not <laughs> the Dude. Thank you, Paul. We'll see you. Hey, Mike. All right, buddy. Take care. This is TJ Majors here, and when you're ready to listen to the best podcast in racing, come
2: check us out on Door Bumper Clear. Freddie Kraft here, and today we'll talk about Ryan Blaney running over Kyle Busch, Bubba Wallace shifting his pants, and Clint Boyer absolutely door slamming Alex Bowman across the line.
1: Make sure you listen to DBC this week and every week on all major podcasting platforms.
2: Hey, guess what, guys? We are live on youtube and leah is running up the stairs to join us (laughs) there she is
0: (laughs) hey everybody it's dale jr this is the ask jr portion of the podcast live on dirty mo media's youtube page um we're going to answer a lot of your questions that you sent uh to xfinity racing social media uh it's all brought to you by xfinity they are the premier partner of nascar and of this podcast and they're your partner for fast internet. I am a customer of Xfinity, all right? I pay for my service before anybody's out there thinking I get that for free.
1: Ain't no freebies here. Um,
0: but yeah, I have their service uh, and I'm a happy customer and I'm learning a lot about it. I've, I've not been a uh, customer for about for a few months now, but they have a lot. There's a lot to it, Yeah. Um, but their internet's great. Anyways, let's get to the questions, Leah.
4: All right. First question. A lot of people excited to have you back. We mentioned earlier in the open segment that you're not technically going to be at the racetrack. So Dave Phillips wants to know what will be the biggest difference from a broadcaster's perspective in calling a race from the studio versus being at the track?
0: All right. So the one thing I'm sure I'm going to have a lot more parts to this question or this answer once I actually go through the process. But the one thing that sort of stands out right now that I probably think will be tough having not experienced this yet so when you're um you guys always talk about the energy right and i come in with as much energy as i can and you know without being too over the top i love the race that i'm watching and i try to convey that and and calling the race uh whatever's happening on the racetrack uh i try to react to it naturally and not hold back or not filter my reaction and that's been working really good for me. But I need I need to be there in person. I need to be watching it. I need to look out the window and see the cars racing. Even though we use the program and we have the program that you're watching on a screen in front of us and we've got replays and in-car cameras and buttons to mash to see every camera and every in-car I can mash a button, and I can I can look at every camera that we have on the on the facility, and I can go to every single in car camera, bumper camera, nose camera, whatever camera we've got. I can see it immediately. Uh, we've got the rundown of the cars, the lap times, uh, when they pitted, how many tires they took. I mean, we've got more information than 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 we really need in that booth. But nothing is the assist that being there in person is. Nothing is as important or as helpful toward to getting that energy and that real passion for what you're seeing is being in person. You know how people talk about going to – say somebody says, man, I'm a big – I'm a huge fan of, of the Carolina Panthers. Love, uh, love watching them on TV. Well, you ever been in a game? No. Oh, you got to go. <laughs> the game. It's so much better in person. Well, broadcasting is the same way. It's so much better in person, and I'm going to have – I'm going to have a hard time sort of finding capturing that energy that you get from seeing the cars in person and that you get from the fans and their reaction to what they're seeing and all the things that are happening. So there's only uh one savior in in that and and uh fans used to say when we first started broadcasting in 2018 The comments that we initially got right out of the gate were, wow, that's great. It sounds like guys, just friends on a couch watching the race themselves. That's what it sounds like. I love it. It sounds sounds like guys just hanging out, buddies hanging out at a bar watching it on TV. Well, that's exactly what we're going to be doing. We're going to be hanging out in a room watching it on TV, just like you're doing at home, and we're just going to talk about it. Um, And so that's what I'm worried most about is how that's going to come across to you guys that are watching it at home. Will we be able to really um, compliment the race with the energy that it deserves, right? Uh, if, if it's a fantastic event, hopefully we can compliment it the way that, the way that we should. Uh, but it'll be tough not being there in person. So we'll see how that works. I've you know Watching the Fox guys, Mike Joy, uh, Jeff Gordon, I've really come to appreciate the challenge that they've been uh, put into, the challenging situation of having to cover the race from a studio. And I think that they learned a lot and improved and did a relatively great job considering the circumstances, and hopefully we can, we can fall in there. And we're going to do one race at Indy, or one weekend, I'm, uh, and then we're going to you know hand it back over to Fox, and then we're going to take it back and finish the season. So uh, that's going to be an interesting back and forth. But it uh, should be a lot of fun. And I think this is a great time to uh, let people know about an idea that we had It is not going to happen this year since we're not racing at Sonoma, but um, one of the things that we talked about doing this year was put me in the Fox booth at Sonoma. We did talk about this. Yeah, as a way to sort of pass the baton uh, because Sonoma is the last race that Fox does before they hand it off to NBC for the rest of the season. Well, I was more than likely going to be in the booth at Sonoma with Jeff Gordon and Mike Joy. That was something I was extremely excited about. Unfortunately, considering the circumstances, none of that's going to happen this year. I'm hoping that we can do that next season. I think it'll be a fun way to transition from Fox to NBC and uh, a way to sort of interweave the boost together for, for one event. Uh, but unfortunately, not going to get that, do that this year. Um, this is going to be completely uh, – it's, it's really unexpected the way we're going to have to do it. And uh, But hopefully we do a great job. And between me, Burton, Rick Allen, LaTarte, there's going to be enough people in there willing to talk and kind of we've been able to watch Fox go through this process and we really we all are on a text chain sort of communicating about what we're seeing and how Fox is doing what they're doing and what we might what we like what we might change what we can add uh, because it's so easy being you know the armchair quarterback in that instance and think about what you might do differently and so hopefully uh, we've learned a lot from Fox over the past couple weeks and can come in and and do a good job.
4: Next question coming from Teresa Robinette. Historically, when NASCAR began in the early years, how much practice time did drivers have with their cars prior to race day? Personally, I believe the racing recently has been great.
0: That's great. Uh, That's such a great question. I do know that in the 80s and the 70s, for for a race at uh, pretty much any racetrack, they would come in on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and open the racetrack up, at 8 o'clock in the morning and close it at 5. So if you were Richard Petty or Dale Earnhardt or Bobby Allison, you could pull into the racetrack at Charlotte for the race weekend. The race is going to happen on Sunday. You could get there Wednesday and practice all day. You could practice all day Thursday if you wanted to. They might have first-round qualifying on Thursday, lock in the top 20. Then Friday, practice all day Tracks open from eight to five. They might have second round qualifying on Friday. Then Saturday, practice all day. They're gonna have an Xfinity race. You know, there was just so much practice. A lot of guys would, you know, obviously only run a couple hours. If the if the track was open on Thursday from eight to five, they're only gonna run a couple hours. They're not gonna spend the entire day on the racetrack, but you know, you, you got to pick and choose what time of day you wanted to go out and what conditions you wanted to go out on the racetrack. Maybe Xfinity, you know, got an hour here and there in the middle of all that stuff. But it was, uh, it, there was a ton of, of track time. Uh, live, there was a live racetrack for half of the week, you know, at a lot of these races back in the 70s and the 80s. Now, they trimmed that way down to uh, one of my favorites was Happy Hour, where the guys would go out and run after the Xfinity race. Uh, to me, that was such a critical time to be able to get on the racetrack if you're a cup, dri- cup driver because you're really getting on the racetrack right at the end of the Xfinity race. It's full of rubber and debris, and it's slick and uncomfortable, exactly the way it's going to be in the race. Uh, we've never been able to practice on a racetrack in a situation that was so comparable ever since they've taken that opportunity away. Now all the practices, when they do happen, happen in the mornings before the Xfinity race. Um, But who knows how it's going to be? You know, that's one thing we haven't heard the governing body talk about. Uh, As we come out of the pandemic and things are basically, you know, wide open and you can create any canvas you want, um, what will NASCAR do? We haven't really heard them come forward and say, hey, uh, this is sort of what we're planning on doing uh, for next year or the years beyond. When it comes to practice and how much time the cars, uh, the teams will truly get, I'm sure that they're going to get at least a sliver of an opportunity to go out there and make sure their cars are okay and there's no loose parts or anything leaking or anything like that. Uh, But honestly, man, I don't know that they need more than that. Um, I've really enjoyed what we've seen this year with the limited practice and no qualifying and so forth. I don't even necessarily know that I need cars to qualify. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Honestly, I'm just enjoying, uh, enjoying the races.
4: We talked about Xfinity Series racing on IMS road course this weekend. Um, Jimbo wants to know if you think it'd be feasible for the Cup or Xfinity Series to race at Barber Motorsports Park in Birmingham.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, it, I think it'd be fun for us to go to a lot of road courses across the country. That's tough because if you if you add a race, you you got to take away a race, and and where do you where do you take a race from? It starts an interesting conversation. But I would love for our series to have like a rotating event. Uh, maybe it's just it, – it's, it, it's a summertime road course event that is a different road course each year. You know, Road America, Road Atlanta. There's a lot of great tracks across the country, Laguna Seca, uh, where the Cup Cars might could go and sort of just, you know, be at a different venue year after year. And just see what that's like and see how that works and then incorporate more of that if that's a successful uh, process. But um, everything in moderation, right?
4: Fun question from Brian Wiltshire. With uh, the 4th of July being this weekend, do you have any crazy firework stories? Well – (laughs) <laughs>
2: well. I was,
0: yeah. yeah we used to buy way too many fireworks and we used to set way too many fireworks off um and and, and that encouraged one of my neighbors when brad Kozlowski was renting a house beside my property you know he would buy just boxes and cases of fireworks and spend the entire night lighting those things off in the middle of the summer, and and anything could go wrong. Not only could somebody get injured by a firework, but it could end up landing in a field somewhere or or, or catching the woods on fire. or You just have no idea what's going to happen in the middle of the night like that with everybody around. I mean, you know, 30, 40 people hanging out, drinking beer. Uh, it's just not a good uh, combination. But luckily, Brad was smart. Nothing ever happened over his place. Not, luckily for us, you know, we never – had any troubles or any injuries or anything like that or anything go bad. Just recently, I was snooping around in a a storage closet and found some old fireworks, and uh, this box, it's probably about six by six inches, and and you set it on the ground and light it, and it shoots a bunch of stuff up in there for about, I don't know, three minutes, four minutes. So I set it out there on the ground, and Amy's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to light this thing off, see what happens. And so it's gone, and Isla is terrified. She's never seen anything like this before. So she's crying. Now I feel awful because Isla's upset. And the horses, we've got um, three rescues that we've accumulated over the last couple decades. Uh, One's this tiny miniature horse that we've had forever. Uh, We got a giant donkey, huge uh, donkey, and then an older female horse that we just recently got. They're running all over this pasture. I feel terrible, even worse now. I was crying, horses are running everywhere. You've got a stampede going. <laughs> and this thing's going, and I'm like, Amy, it's, it's, it's going to stop eventually. And it keeps going. It keeps, do, doo, do. I'm like, damn, when's that thing going to stop? Everybody's all pissed off at me. Amy's mad. Um, so, yeah, that's what fireworks are like now. Over at over at my place, we used to it used to be forty thirty people hanging around, drinking a lot of beer and and having a lot of fun. And now it's crying babies and horses scattering for their lives. <laughs> tonka uh, it's, yeah, it's going through like the it, not like it used to going be going to the fields. <laughs>
4: <laughs> All right, um, the goose wants to know. He says, "You're a big football guy. What's your opinion on Cam Newton going to the Patriots?"
0: I'm I'm uh, intrigued. You know, anytime. You have a quarterback that's played for the same team for so long. Uh, you kind of get an idea of what you think that the the talent and the performance of that quarterback is. But there's also uh, the system that he's in for all those years, and the culture of that team, or or and, and how that team's managed uh, from the from the top down. And so, anytime you see a, a quarterback spend so many years with the same team, get put in another situation, there's a lot of intrigue and curiosity about it. Um, it gives you an opportunity, I guess, to see really what that individual player can do. Because now he's out of that environment, uh, that system that um, he's been playing in, and, and what can he do? Can he do better? It's the same thing when you see drivers change teams. A race car driver driving for the same team for so long then goes to another program and sometimes can be, you know, become a winning driver, or maybe uh, maybe not, you know. I remember when uh, Joe Montana left the 49ers and went to the Kansas City Chiefs. I was a big Joe Montana fan. I wasn't a 49ers fan or a Chiefs fan. But Joe Montana, to me, was someone who I respected as a young person. And, and I was like, oh, man, Chiefs. I hope he can do well, you know. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of Cam fans out there that are – extremely excited you know he's going to a place where there's there's been a ton of success and this could be a real opportunity just to see how good he can be the only only concerns are obviously the past injuries uh the injury history that has plagued him over the last couple of years has limited his play but when he's healthy he's pretty dynamic and i think in that situation it could be uh, it could be a win for for cam and for the patriots so it's always cool to have storylines like that in sports and, you know, those are the fun parts, the fun things about sports is, is that kind of redemption, the comeback, uh, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you're a fan of the underdog or the Cinderella story, uh, or maybe you like cheering on an icon like Tom Brady, whatever it is. Uh, that's what's great about sports. And so uh, I'm sure Cam's pretty excited uh, to get that opportunity.
4: All right, guys, that's it for today.
0: All right, y'all, I appreciate you guys tuning in. A lot of great questions. Hope everybody's doing well out there. Alright, you gotta be fast in our sport, and Xfinity knows a thing or two about that. With Xfinity, get blazing fast Wi-Fi without any pit stops. Xfinity, X-Fi, delivers the speed, coverage, security, and control you need to stay connected to NASCAR all season long. This is beyond Wi-Fi. This is X-Fi. Keep your questions rolling in to add
1: Xfinity Racing on Twitter using the hashtag #AskJunior for a chance to have your questions answered by Dale Jr. himself.
0: We are so proud to partner with Xfinity. They are the premier partner of NASCAR. All right, we got an odd history for you today. I love these. This is a quick one. Some racetrack name parts of the track to honor drivers for their accomplishments, all right? Some racetracks name parts of the racetrack to honor drivers for for what they've done. And a handful of drivers have grandstands that are named after them. And Jimmy Johnson even has a tunnel at Homestead. There's the Earnhardt Towers at Darlington. Yeah, and every other track. Well, former NASCAR driver and a guest on this show, Dave Marcus, he has them all beat. At Pocono, Marcus was honored with a bathroom named after him. We found out about this thanks to a Tom Higgins article that NASCAR man dug up. He's great at digging up all that stuff. You see, in the 1970s, Pocono had notoriously bad bathrooms in the garage area. And it was Marcus who complained the loudest about the lack of the facilities. Finally, after years of commode criticism... The track unveiled a new state of the art garage bathroom and they named it the Dave Marcus Lounge. <laughs> right, as the story goes, Marcus wasn't too pleased with the honor at first, but later found humor in his namesake toilets. I can see him being totally pissed off about that. <laughs> and then, yeah, years later going,
2: I brought these bathrooms. You better own it. I you better it.
1: embrace it. I made this happen. Yeah. The Dave Marcus
2: bathroom. Is that still the case, by the way? Is that right? I don't know, I man. Never I've never that. seen it be the Dave Marcus bathroom. Yeah. So. Lounge. But now, lounge. yeah, lounge, excuse me. But now, every time I go to, you know, 10100 to 10200 at Pocono, I'll never not think of Dave.
1: 10100.
0: Yeah. So is just something he knows? I don't, he know. just, I don't know. I missed it. <laughs> he's a, he's in there.
1: It, it makes sense. La La Land. It, it makes sense in Dillner's head. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> All right, last call. Last call. All right, guys, last call, last call, last call. I had to do three right there. (laughs) For good measure.
0: The trailer for Lost Speedways came out last week.
2: Woo. What'd you think?
0: I liked it. Of course, I liked it. So the trailer for Lost Speedways, go on to my social media handles or Dirty Mo Media. And there's a trailer on there for our TV show that's coming out July 15th on Peacock, which is NBC's new streaming platform. If you have Xfinity, you get it for free.
1: That's right. right, You get their
0: premium service for free if you already have an account with Xfinity, which I have. So there you go. Anyhow. Lost Speedways is an incredible show about, uh, yeah, just that, Lost Speedways. Ghost tracks, tracks that are abandoned, lost, resting somewhere in the woods. We go discover them, talk about them, learn of their stories. And uh, July 15th is going to be a very special day because we put a ton of effort into this show. We've been dreaming about doing it for years, and we're finally going to be able to see what people think, whether it it wins or loses. We're going to learn that July 15th. Uh, hopefully you guys will uh, will check it out, Mike. What's been the reaction on your end? Pretty good.
1: I think a lot of people are excited, and, and I, I love getting the feedback from people already saying, "Hey, if you guys get a second season of this, go yes. to this track and go yes. to that track." Yes. I mean, like just by default, a lot of people have a connection with a speedway, usually from their their youth. You know, maybe their dad took them there, maybe this was, they just have good memories, and that's something that really kind of uncovered, in my opinion. When we did these uh, you know, these eight tracks on this first season, is that we met a lot of people that you could tell this wasn't just a dang racetrack for them, man. This was this was their life, this was their identity. It wasn't just drivers either. It's a lot of fans, a lot of people that just remembered it and 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 it brings up emotions. And that's what I think this show does. It's I don't think you have to be a racing fan to enjoy it. Oh. No. I think you gotta, you know, if you appreciate history, if you appreciate people like if you're the kind of person that goes to an airport and likes to people watch wait do you see the people in these shows wait do you see the characters that come out in here and, and so a lot of things that happened on the shows i don't think we predicted you know i don't think we had richard petty pegged as a as someone that would come to our uh, one of our episodes, and and so I'm excited about it. I can't wait to see what the reception is, and honestly, I can't wait for us just to sit back and watch an episode of it without it feeling like work, <laughs> you know, so we can kind of enjoy it. I know there's a lot of people in this room right now. Yes. Dustin Lee over there, still short on sleep. Uh, Micah Caldwell, a lot of work. James Brosan, the barbarian, is is here, and he's done a lot of work, so um, I'm telling you, it's, it's been a passion project, Dale, for not just you, but for a lot of people, Matthew, obviously it's your life. I'm excited about it. I think, what, what have you guys seen so far as far as the reaction goes?
2: Yeah, I, I, I was blown away by the social reaction. So I'm hoping that that's a litmus test for uh, success for the show. Cause you know, I mean, to think about it, uh, that's what brought Dale and I together closer as friends. Cause we knew each other for 19 years or so, 18 years without really having too much of a connection. And um, but you know we both share that passion, and uh, I think this show is going to be very unexpected. It's not just going to be some racing show; um, it's a history show, and I think that's that's the thing that's going to attract a lot of people uh, to it, other than just being some other other racing show that's on, in yeah. the uh, atmosphere. Well,
0: I know the show's not out yet, and I know that um, you know we we probably put I'm probably putting the cart before the horse here, but <laughs> what does what does have to happen? Uh, like, what is it that has to happen for us to get picked up for season two? Great
1: question. Isn't it? I don't know. I mean,
0: That'll be—I be interesting I, to find out, actually. It, yeah.
1: It, it well, it's got to be this. I'm going to take a stab at it. If Peacock, if if subscribers, uh, it's all on numbers. It's all on the mm-hmm. analytics, and if people subscribe to Peacock, that's why they put us on this this network. Is uh, to give Peacock, which is a huge undertaking, by the way. Yeah. do know, in this, it's an arms race. Think about this, guys. Everybody's got a streaming network now, right? Yes. You know, Disney Plus. Uh, you know, uh, everybody's got their their streaming network, mm-hmm. and so it's an arms race. And NBC is in this arms race, and they and Peacock is their answer. And they're bringing some. And content. they bring in some. Oh, they've got a bunch of originals. They got a bunch of repurposed stuff. I mean, like The Office. Think about all these things that just. You know, some of your favorites that go way back. Yeah. So
2: The new shows, too, the that they're coming that we, we, out with her.
1: We share a platform with some of these just iconic shows yeah. and programs. And the thing that we're one of, like, I think because of the the, the pandemic, there were probably a lot more uh, uh, scheduled original shows. But because of the pandemic, there's only four right now. And we're one of them. And so I think Ryan Lochte's another. Yes. Kevin Hart's another. Deep, yep. Um, and so here we are. I mean, this is outside of our, you know, outside of our bubble. Here we are. We're, we're about to go to market we're on a platform that's brand new with, uh, you know, a list people and other athletes. And and, uh, and it's doing a a topic that is meaningful to you, Matthew, sure. and meaningful, to, uh, meaningful for Dale. And hey, listen, we, we it fulfilled us before we even edited the first episode. Uh, I hope that everybody else shares in that uh, in that fulfillment and and appreciates what what we put into these episodes. It's, I think I'm really proud of it.
0: All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, it's a lot of fun for me to bring Paul on here. He's a friend of mine. I hope you guys enjoyed his conversation, and I uh, hope you have a great week and enjoy the races this weekend on NBC. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.